Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Hey guys, just to let you know, we are going to actually split this episode into two parts. What you're going to listen to now is part one of our discussion with Dr. DeCatz. Uh, we got about an hour into the podcast and realized that we had so many more questions that we wanted to ask and that wasn't going to be possible to, to cram it all into one episode. So rather than trying to uh, squeeze everything in and, and rush, we've decided to split it into a part one and a part two. So part two, we'll be recording hopefully sometime within the next few weeks and and publishing shortly after that but we'll let you know on all of our socials in terms of when that's coming out but part one was amazing dr decatz is a really really funny guy extremely knowledgeable um, a true leader in his field and we really enjoyed our discussion with him and i'm really looking forward to having him back for part two so enjoy part one and um stay tuned for episode two so david Tuesday night podcast. Yeah, with Negroni, Negroni's in hand. Oh, no, sorry, Wednesday night. It's not Tuesday. <laughs> See, it's been a long week, Tom. He doesn't <laughs> even know what day it is. It's been a long week. So this is David, my co-host. Nice if to meet you. You guys obviously haven't met. Nice to meet you, You David. too. Yeah, very nice to meet you too. Thanks for joining us. It's a very interesting topic that uh, yeah. plagues a lot of injectors or makes very a lot of injectors very fearful. And you're going to hear some things you haven't heard before and some... Um, uh, bold remarks uh, are uh, will be made. Good, and uh, we want controversy and bold statements. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but bold statements based on facts yeah. that weren't there yet. So um, after this podcast, you will get heaps and heaps of questions, and also people questioning what I've said. But I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Fantastic. And we're joined by the amazing Dr. Tom DeCatz all the way from Holland. Tom, are, are you in Amsterdam at the moment or where, where, where do you live? I'm in a lucky position to be based in Amsterdam and hopefully one day I can invite you both here and show you around. We would love absolutely that. love that. IA in Amsterdam. Yeah, I'll show up one day and you'll be like, shit, I didn't think you'd actually <laughs> yeah. didn't think you'd take me up on that offer. Yeah, tell us about your practice and, and obviously the centre of complications where you work and we'll explain to the listeners a bit more about that. So on the one hand, I treat my own clients with, with Botox and fillers and on the other hand, in the, the Erasmus University in Rotterdam, we have the only outpatient clinic in the world for uh, filler uh, adverse events. Yeah. And from all around the world, uh, patients are referred to us. But we also do uh, uh, a lot of uh, online consultation for colleagues who have had <coughs> unfortunate adverse events. And through uh, video, uh, video meetings, we can uh, advise them how to solve it. Yeah. yeah, it's amazing. I actually want to shout out Gillian, um, who we had on the podcast, maybe what, five or six episodes Gillian ago? Murray. Yes. The Gillian Murray. The Gillian yeah. Murray. She actually, in, well, I'd say introduced us. Uh, WhatsApp introduced us um, to your amazing work. I, I knew about the Dutch group and I knew about the Complication Center. I knew about Leonie and her work with ultrasound, but I didn't know 
people like yourself. So yeah. it's amazing to, to be connected. So thank you, Gillian. And um, thank you yeah. to a lot of our listeners. Um, I was actually sick a week or two ago. And so the planning of this podcast was uh, slightly delayed. And so I put out something to our listeners to get lots of questions and, and to try and sort of plan this. So thank you to the yeah. about 100 people who sent yeah, questions. Yeah, got a, a great supportive community. Yeah. Um, when you say you deal with complications, what are we talking about? Are we talking about sort of things that are maybe not that critical? We're talking about like bruising and swelling. Are we talking about like super serious stuff like occlusions, yeah. nodules, granulomas? Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah, we, we never talk about bruising and uh, uh, light swelling. Yeah. It's, it's all the severe, the severe stuff. So those uh, vascular adverse events we see more often and more often. And the, the nodules and granulomas and uh, infections and stuff like that. So the heavy shit. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because a lot of clients believe that bruising and swelling is a major complication. So <laughs> just to just to clarify or qualify yeah. what we're talking about here. No, that's a very inter interesting topic for yeah. um, it's all about management of expectations. So yeah. if in uh, before or during the consultation you explain that uh, uh, swelling and bruising can be there, then uh, in my humble opinion, that's never a complication because you explained it to the client that it's part of the, 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 the first days of the treatment that yeah. it could happen. Yeah, it's almost like it, it's going to happen and if it doesn't, you're lucky. Correct. <laughs> You know, but the, another thing is we are doctors and we do medical treatments. And although both patients and some doctors treat it as getting a coffee uh, around the corner or a, a, a slice of uh, bread or something, it isn't. We're doctors and we're doing medical treatments. Yeah. I mean, you're putting needles in faces and putting facial implants in. So as soon as you say it in those terms, patients go, ooh, sounds a bit scary. Uh, and then they start listening. So, yeah. yeah. Well, it's an and interesting. That's good. Yes. And that's good. So uh, I'm going to sh shout some things. But for instance, when in doubt, don't. Yeah. So if you are a client and you doubt, then you don't. So when you want to be treated, you fully trust the doctor and you fully trust yourself, then I believe the treatment will go better. So if you're in doubt, don't. So start researching more. Yeah. Tom, I'd love to ask you a little bit about the background to the Complication Centre, because like you said, I think it's one of the, or if not the world's only sort of expert centre for things like this. And it always, you know, there's so many amazing minds in Holland and I, I gather that two universities sort of combined and I, I don't know the full history, but tell us about how it all came about and who works there and, you know, how it's all funded as well. Yeah, so I'm in a lucky position that uh, Leonie Schelke, who we mentioned before, and Peter Veldhuis uh, are the doctors that I work with. And in the last couple of years, other doctors also came to, uh, to help us. But at first it was Peter and Leonie. And then uh, at about 10 years ago, I joined their group and then it went berserk. Berserk in a way that I'm crazy and I have a lot of energy. So I thought that we see so many patients more often and more often. And Leonie was into ultrasound. And then we said to each other, we get so many questions about those complications. Let me dive into that. I'm, I'm not a scientist, but let me dive into that. And then I noticed 
uh, how do I put it? Nothing was known. And everybody in the world is just injecting and injecting and injecting to, to earn heaps and heaps of money. Okay, manufacturers are just selling and selling and selling and 10 milliliters there and 10 milliliters there. But what happens inside the body? And that's what we wanted to know. And since we saw so many adverse events, we, yeah, how do I put it? I thought that I would be very stupid if I would not do anything with that information. So it was a, a yeah, big uh, a chance for us to do that research so we dived into three major topics so uh, genetic predisposition can we find the clue to uh, at first before the treatment say whether everybody whether somebody's getting an adverse event or not yeah and uh, second what does the immune system when you inject uh, 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 a foreign body and, and third, what also everybody wants to know, what's up with bacteria? Yeah. So these these three subjects was were research by us starting like at about eight years ago, and um, uh, a few years ago we finalized everything. But then COVID came, and but uh, eventually in October 2021, I was in a very lucky position that with great help of Peter and Leonie. I managed to get my PhD and uh, we've done research nobody ever done. So we're very proud of that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was amazing. I think the title was The Origin of Soft tish- Tissue Filler Adverse Events. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And you sent me an amazing yeah. book. It's it's the whole PhD. Uh, it was great bedtime reading. I have to admit, I skipped some of it when it got a bit heavy with the genetics. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll get into all of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. But I'm so unbelievably proud for i'm talking to everybody in the world also prior to getting my phd and they all said tom um how are you able to get biopsies of clients who've been treated with fillers well that's what everybody wants to know so a a patient or a client comes to a doctor he or she is treated with fillers but then they wanted to look beautiful. And if they have an adverse event, they want the, the, the doctor to solve the adverse event and not the doctor who takes a biopsy and starts researching. But we managed to get so many um, uh, patients and do so many biopsies. So we got so much information nobody ever had. So, uh, yeah, we're very, very proud of that. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure the pharmaceutical companies are very keen for that information. Um. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they are, but that's also a little bit tricky for, uh, I don't make many friends. So <laughs> I once I once were in the US and I, I gave a, a lecture and then somebody came up to me and said, uh, Dr. Decade, thank you for uh, your uh, enthusiastic presentation, but I advise you, not to rent a car and go for a ride. <laughs> Sounds like a Were they serious? Yeah. Still, uh, until this day, I don't know. But uh, yeah, you could see that as a threat. But this is a $10 billion industry getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, we are, uh, how do you call it, uh, whistleblowers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So how, how does the referral pathway work? So you've obviously got this amazing complication center. Um, doctors and nurses. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't think nurses can inject in Holland, or can they? Mm, can't remember. No, they can't. Okay, so it's only that, doctors. Something for for another podcast. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So but, how, uh, 
Yeah. So how does it work? How do, how do people get in contact and at what stage are they involving you or your complication center in, in the process and just the logistics of handling the patient, handing the patient back and that relationship you have with all the practitioners that, that work with you? And importantly, money, who's yeah. paying? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a very, very good question, David. So you are treated at a private practice by a doctor and you paid for it yourself. Then things go wrong and the doctor is not able to solve it. And then you go to the university hospital where everybody in Holland who's paying taxes is paying for your treatment inside the hospital. And I, yes, I have to um, uh, uh, explain that also to uh, the Ministry of Health and how things like that work. But like on the other hand, um, if you are a patient and you go to a hospital and you have an adverse event of something or an allergic to re reaction to something or, or whatever, uh, the healthcare system is always paying for it. But yes, uh, you are paying for it yourself at the private practice and the Dutch healthcare system is paying for it at the, at the university hospital. Can I ask then, does that encourage injectors to inject with a little bit of impunity, meaning less caution because they've got this safety blanket. We've got Dr. DeCates in hospital. He can look after all my crap if, if I get it wrong. Yeah, I would not say that they do that on purpose, but I'm texted twice to three times each day or each group, Leonie, Peter, I, each day from 80% the Netherlands and 20% from all around the world. And I think that people are very happy that they know that Dr. DeCates and his <laughs> colleagues will always help them. Yeah. But I'm a very romantic, naive person. <laughs> I don't think that people do that on purpose. Yeah, no, fair enough. I'm, I'm, I was semi-joking, but, you know, the, there is an element of, you know, they have no responsibility. Well, they have a, a continued responsibility, but for the problem they don't have to handle. Whereas most injectors work independently uh, here in Australia and many other countries and it's on them. So they, they might be a little bit more cautious and maybe less gung-ho if, if, if they didn't have someone like yourself. Not touche, touche. Yeah. And um, in terms of funding, so, so that's all covered by the, the government. You know, you don't have to ask for a bill. You just get paid by the government and the patient goes back to the doctor once it's resolved. Yeah, yeah. If we dive further into that, I get people who I treat the adverse event, and half a year later, see them back treated by another doctor with the same adverse event, and they also thought, "Oh, Doctor DeCates is somebody I could always see if I want." Yeah, crazy, yeah. Uh, crazy world. But um, yeah, that's how it goes. So, so uh, people come to us at the outpatient clinic in the the Rotterdam uh, University Hospital. Yeah. Yeah, okay. fair enough. So you sort of um, told us already, but there are many different types of filler complications. But in this podcast, we're going to sort of focus on uh, infections, bacteria, and then sort of some of the various lumps and nodules that sort of present themselves. And I think one of the problems that we have as an industry, and maybe it's just country specific, but sometimes these things are named differently in different countries. And we might be talking about the same thing, we might be talking about different things. And there's a lot of confusion just historically. 
So maybe we'll just start off with um, something simple. What, what's your understanding of what's, what the body normally does in a healthy person when HA filler is injected in, into them? Is there any reaction at all? Because, you know, we're told by the pharma companies these are non-toxic, non-immunogenic, uh, they're totally fine, they're, they're benign. But, you know, what does your research tell you? What the pharmaceutical companies, if they have said these specific words to you, that's BS. So um, looking at the facts is that when a foreign body is injected inside the body, you always got uh, or will get an early onset immune response. Yeah. So that's what's supposed to happen. So uh macrophage they attack the foreign body and that always happens so a little bit of redness and swelling and 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 you feel uh that it's hardened in the first few days that's how it's supposed to go yeah that's logical no i agree and that's why we well i certainly tell my patients not you might get swelling you are going to get swelling and if you can't handle yeah. that because of work or your husband's going to shout at you for having something done behind his back then don't do it because you can't hide it it's yeah. going to be there and and it's okay yeah yeah be happy that your immune system responds <laughs> to foreign body yeah you're alive so i always <laughs> yeah 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 no but for real eh, my friend so i'm that uh enthusiastic, always smiling, but also scientist doctor. So I tell them the facts and I bring it in a, in a, in a happy place way. And uh, since it's the truth, uh, you, you don't have to hide it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and then if it happens to the, to the patient, she knows that, oh yes, Dr. Sloan, she told me that this, uh, he told me that this was going to happen. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And so, What's the next stage of the process? So you initially elicit an immune response, which we've just agreed is normal and healthy and indicates that your body's working as it should. So what happens after that in terms of how it integrates into the tissue? You know, that word integrate, you hear sort of said a lot, but in terms of what does that actually mean? And then what happens to the immune system after that initial period has has passed and that swelling goes down and, se- and it seems to, um, I guess, almost acclimate to your body? So when it's injected inside the, uh, the body, then the mac- macrophage, they come and you have an early onset immune response. And then it sees that most of it is HA filler and that's body friendly. And in some patients, the immune system goes berserk. And in time, some weeks, some in months, you get a late onset immune response. Yeah. And that's when the problem happens. And then nodules uh, can happen. And then you can also get um, uh, redness, swelling, inflammation. And um, we now know a little bit better why that happens. And, and that's in my uh, in my thesis. Yeah, yeah we'll come on to the, the lumps and sort of bad stuff. But, you know, when the pharma companies use this word integration, like David mentioned, I was always yeah. led to believe, you know, that I got shown some histology sh- slides and it almost looks like little blobs of filler have mixed in with, you know, the body's tissues, almost like a hybrid and everything's living happily together. But is yeah. is that 
real? Do, do you see that in, yeah. in, you know, in your own yeah, yeah, work? Yeah, yeah. yeah but that, that's, that's that part I agree on. Right. But so then, that, but, that, but, but isn't that like, you know, that would be more if you had fanned through a, a, a thin layer, say in the subcutaneous layer. But if you do a big blob bolus down onto the periosteum, presumably that has less chance of integrating. Uh, yeah, but that's what uh, what also the purpose is of that large blob. Yes, you want to, you want to give volume, and it's it's de- degraded uh, slow slowlier. Yeah. So you have a longer period of of time that you can enjoy it. So we've done our blob of filler down onto the periosteum, and then at some point it's going to hydrolyze and break down. So. Correct. We're led to believe, and I remember Professor Goodman. I think even maybe on our own podcast, he told us that the theory is that when the smaller chains or the low molecular weight chains of HA break down, these things are just innately inflammatory. That's just the nature of them. And so as your filler breaks down, naturally there's a little bit of a stimulus or a signal to your immune system. Is that true? Yeah, Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. I I highly respect uh, Professor Goodman. And um, um, I think that... Partly it's true. He's saying that, the way he's saying that, with a, a very, and he knows, a very thin layer of evidence. What I can say to you here is that we're going to continue doing our research. Yeah, We know that those low molecular weight HA filler are uh, uh, inflammatory. We know that. But why does it in one person uh, shifts between those low and high and gives an uh, uh, inflammatory reaction and in others it doesn't we don't know yet aesthetic medicine or cosmetic medicine how do you want to call it hasn't been there for like what 25 years something Mm. so looking at cardiology who's been there for decades and hundreds of years their research is 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 way way beyond us yeah so in time we will we will get there and i can answer this but this is one of my new researches that we will dive into low and high molecular weight and also type m1 and m2 make macrophages and what happens over time so uh when we have this same podcast in a few years and you're on national television and then we talk about it. Yeah, I mean, one of the confusing things is even between the companies, what they call low molecular weight and high molecular weight is completely different. True that, true that, but my friend. But as Aristoteles said, the more I read, the less I know. So I dived into everything and I really got a headache. Yeah. And after this podcast, with all the knowledge you have and this, the new things I said to you, you all, you all also will think, oh, but that, I, don't, I didn't know that and I want to dive into that. And when you dive into it, you think, what the FUCK is this? Mm. So more and more knowledge. And that's also the reason why I'm in all those podcasts all around the world, television programs, hoping to stimulate even younger persons than me to also start doing researches yeah question my research please dive into it i tried to understand genetics the immune system bacteria everything but i I know yeah very less but since many people in our line of business don't know anything yeah we know quite a lot but we still don't know anything yeah Yeah. that that's a it's a really refreshing perspective because i think in 
you know, any of these sort of academic pursuits, whether it be medicine, archaeology, like any, anything where you've got um, egos, you've got people that are doing research, there's dogma, people become emotionally attached um, to their ideas, their findings, and the prospect of having it challenged or having to walk something back or admit that they made a mistake or there is an error can sometimes st- can, can halt progress because people don't want to be proven wrong. They don't want to have to say that something was incorrect. So it's very refreshing just as an observation to hear someone of your status say, please challenge me, ask the questions. Maybe I'm wrong. This is something we need to do together. And I think that's, it's a really refreshing and admirable um, quality. So thank you. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. So I was going to ask you, um, what's your screening process like when you're talking to patients? You mentioned that, you know, you've got patients that might have medical history or autoimmune diseases that might make them high risk for these types of complications. So what does your screening process look like for the listeners that might be wanting to know what questions should they be asking? And what do you, or what do you ask rather? Uh, I'm the worst commercial doctor in the world. <laughs> so if a, a client comes in, literally start, what are you doing here? You look great. Mm. And they haven't even started uh, asking me questions. And they're like, what? <laughs> My other doctors, they said, oh, I already see where you're coming from uh, for and I injected this. this. So I, I, I let them. Uh, question them their their own questions to me so in general i say to everybody you don't need me if you accepted yourself the way uh, you are i can put a little bit there and a little bit there and just give you that little bit more of confidence for i like injecting botox and fillers and i like to help people look even uh, better or prettier but if you have some autoimmune disease or you are allergic to strawberries or et cetera, et cetera, things like that. I say, I explain to them something uh, simple about the immune system. And then that, that that's part of my consultation, which is very important for, uh, again, uh, managing, managing expectation, but also explaining what could, could go wrong um, is very important for me. But how do you juggle between, say, someone who's got, I don't know, stable thyroid disease and they haven't had a problem in years versus, I don't know, someone with Hashimoto's thyroiditis and, you know, their their hormones are all over the place and, and so on? Like, what what is your threshold to say yes and no is, I guess, my question. I, 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 most of the time, after uh, explaining and, and um, together being willing to be inject, I always inject. Okay, but in a very, in a very small amount, at a very specific area, I never ever even treat more than two milliliters per treatment, and per year maybe three in a person in a phase. Interesting. So again, if at first you explain a lot, for for instance, if that specific patient uh, with Hashimoto disease you explained uh, or, or uh, uh, made as an example, goes to a colleague of mine who is very commercial and will inject heaps and heaps of fillers. I know I see them back uh, a month later at my outpatient clinic for uh, adverse events. So people with those uh, questions and although uh, those um, uh, um, diseases, I, I try to keep them uh, close to me. Yeah. Oh, Interesting. Do you think there's a, a correlation between like complications like nodules and, and granulomas with 
the amount of filler that's injected at one given time. Yes, I know for I know for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, but it's also again, it, it's I think it's very logical, but it's also something we're we're gonna. It's one of our hypotheses we're gonna investigate. So, a little bit of product is a little bit of triggering of the autoimmune system. A lot of product is a lot of triggering of the autoimmune system. So if you are injected with fillers, which I think stay in the uh, in the body a longer period of time than we think, then and also again I'm going to say a lot of things people don't like. Good. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> so permanent fillers um, are uh, uh, not used anymore uh, in the Netherlands, and it's forbidden to to inject them. But if you inject an HA filler in the face at the same area each year, you trigger the immune system, but you keep on triggering the immune system. So maybe in time, it will act as a permanent filler. Yeah, I mean, wow. kind of, sort of logical, really. You know, uh, Mobin, who we've had on, he's shown that filler can last 10 years plus. And so if you keep on pumping it in, like, Tom said on is the same the, area. The MR, is that the MRI? Yeah, he's Correct. a radiologist in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I want to keep being in contact with him. Well, yeah, we can uh, definitely seen. link you up. No problem. So, so okay, what does what does perfect. that what does that threshold look like for any injectors that are saying that's great, Doctor Decates? But what does what does that what does that look like in terms of safety? So you're saying you inject two mils. I know that some injectors routinely will do five, six, seven, eight mils, ten mils potentially in one sitting. So what would your friendly recommendation be for people to stay in the safety zone when it comes to autoimmune yeah. responses yeah the, the fantastic thing david is that even when lots of volumes are injected in 99.9 percent .9 of the cases it's all good yeah but i think that some people will respond um in an uh, yeah an overshoot of the immune system mm. so I wouldn't say that there's a specific threshold. Uh, I just want everybody to think before they treat. So I am biased. I see so many complications and the doctor is not able to sleep for days or weeks. The patient is not able to sleep for days, weeks, and the patient is mutilated for life, both physically and mentally. And I don't want that to happen. Yeah. You see the, you know, the real odd and, and scary side of things. So maybe, you know, your, your, I guess, attitude is, is different to your average doctor yeah. who never sees those things. Exactly. So I know I'm biased, but I'm very happy that I don't have those sleepless nights. Yeah. Fair enough. What about, um, sorry, I was going to ask about dental, uh, you know, oral health and, yeah. and dental problems because yeah. I've become not quite obsessed with it, but I, I ask a lot of questions about oral hygiene. I'm examining teeth. I'm, yeah. And also for yeah. the aesthetics as well. What What's your um, sort of, I guess, screening questions that you ask about oral health in, in regards to avoiding complications? Very good. And also, again, I'll be saying a lot of things that are very easy and very logical. So if you have some oral problems, your, your mouth is like a bacteria heaven. Yeah. And then if you brush your teeth, 
then those bacteria through the blood can go to the nearest uh, foreign body. Yeah. And that, and the same as flossing your teeth or your dentist giving you a, a, a clean, let alone a, you know, a filling needed or a sore tooth or an implant yeah. going in your bone. Yeah, yeah. One could say that, yeah. So, so do you actually say to patients, I'm going to delay you? If you, know, if, the, if you want filler and you've been to the dentist yesterday, would you delay them? No, I won't delay them. Just knowing that it could happen. So, for instance, uh, we have uh, one of my uh, case reports that I published was a patient with an abscess and uh, many doctors, blah, blah. And I say, let's look in the mouth. And yes, she had a root canal problem thing. So the abscess was not because of the filler, because of the teeth. So the fact that you uh, think about it, that, that's perfect for me. So that's also something we want to yeah, say in this podcast. And hopefully after this podcast, people are going to change a lot of things. And one of those things is looking and asking about their, their dental problems. Well, I'm wondering if I should change my own advice because I'm, you know, I treat the whole face and I don't hold back. But if I smell a problem or, or someone tells me something funny is going with my teeth, I, I back off and say, I'm going to wait at least two to four weeks until that problem has calmed but down. I, when you say, when you say smell, are you now referring to David who's sitting there? <laughs> <laughs> I think about halitosis with your patients. Is that no, <laughs> I, well, joking aside, sometimes it, you can yeah, have that. that. And then yeah. you think, wow, that, like uh, Tom said, that must be bacteria heaven. Yeah. So some people's yeah, you know, normal oral hygiene, they might not have a, a dental problem, but you can see that their teeth are, are not in the yeah. best of shape. Yeah, and so it just puts me off. I, it freaks me out when, when I hear that because I remember one of my first uh, introductions to this industry was, and I won't say who it was, and I don't think it matters because we didn't know any better back then, but watching a presentation of someone injecting sub-Q intraorally into someone's cheek. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, no, gosh, no, that's probably ag- not a good idea. No, but again, David, that is the funny thing. So after this podcast, doctors are could get worried, patients could get worried. But again, I've seen crazy people injecting crazy amounts of fillers live on stage and all went well. So 99.9% of the cases all goes all goes okay so but again it's when it does happen it, it's mentally and physically for the patient uh yeah not a good place mm. no so so just to clarify so i should or i shouldn't delay people prior to a dental procedure yeah d- it depends on on uh, like for instance if one the three of us is go- undergoing a dental uh, uh treatment it's all good mm-hmm. but if somebody's teeth are almost falling out yeah. then i would say uh, eat, don't even treat it okay patient. fine i'm going to modify if it's just a routine scale and polish i'll be less cautious but it obviously if they need a filling or you know something serious like an abscess i'm obviously going to wait until that's healed and and looked at yeah, and you can always help me, yeah? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. I've got you on speed yeah. dial now. You're gonna you're gonna get pissed off with me. You're gonna, get, you're gonna be getting text twenty four seven, Tom. The, it's yeah, a dangerous but, slippery slope. But, but, I'm I'm but gonna please don't send me those pictures anymore <laughs> after you just worked out. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was gonna ask you, um I'm I know 
we're going to get onto the technical side of things of how we address these issues and all the, all the ins and outs from a technical medical perspective. But you mentioned the psychological perspective. And I was wondering whether you could elaborate on that a little bit in terms of what you've noticed with patients from a psychological perspective when they have one of these complications and advice potentially to practitioners, whether they be doctors or nurses listening to this, because obviously you've had lots of experience. How do you, what do you, what do you experience? What do you notice with these patients and how have you found best to deal with them from a psychological perspective? Because it is a very, a very real thing. These patients become very nervous. Maybe they get scared of having treatments ever again in the future. They might have feelings of distrust or anger towards their injector when perhaps it wasn't anything that they did wrong. It was just, you know, one of those things that can happen. So curious to get your, yeah. your insights into that. So if you're not that experienced with adverse events, which hopefully you are, which is a good sign, the only thing the patients wants to hear is that you're there for them. Yeah. So it's really easy peasy. So heaps and heaps of contact until the patient says, uh, thank you, but this is okay. And then if uh, 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 a patient with a, with a, with a complication um, comes to me in the hospital, we have so much experience. I always say to them, in the end, it will all be well. So I've done this a thousand times and in the end, it will be well. So I can say that. But you as an, uh, an, uh, a doctor who luckily enough hasn't seen that much complications, just be there for them. That's the most important. Yeah. Something topical uh, that we've gone through in the last three years was obviously COVID and then we had vaccines. And I remember, I think it was about December 2020 when Moderna vaccines were first used, I believe, in the States. And there was this sort of case report or report from the FDA that three people in one of the trials out of about, I don't know, 20,000 complained of lumps in their face. And then injectors around the world lost their shit saying, oh my God, vaccines are scary and dangerous and everyone's going to have problems. I mean, personally, in my you know, humble sort of experience. I actually, I didn't see yeah. a single patient with what I'm going to call a delayed onset reaction. Um, I did have a couple of friends who say, Oh, I think my filler might be a bit tight or sore, but you know, nothing really. Um, but what was your own experience of, you know, COVID yeah. vaccines and fillers in the face? Yeah, we as a group, um, we also gathered those patients and we, uh, I think in the next few weeks, one of our articles about this subject will be published. But again, in my humble opinion, it's quite easy. So you've got something like, um, I, I always said perfect storm, but my professor says I cannot use that word anymore. Uh, so multifactorial disease. Uh-huh. So many things come together. And again, happy your immune system responds. So if you're getting a shot, a vaccine of everything, it triggers the immune system. That's <laughs> what it's supposed to do. Yeah. So yes, foreign body can be attacked that easy. It's that easy. Yeah. So if it does happen in, I think, 90% of the case, it, cases, I didn't have to do anything and it just uh, went away. And in some cases, I have to give uh, oral uh, corticosteroid um, prednisone yeah corticosteroids corticosteroids yeah and in some cases uh, i had to dissolve uh, the filler but uh, in not that many cases so uh, again that's how it's supposed to go your immune system works perfect but but in terms of the incidents like how many were you seeing like you know ah. 
Yeah, one one uh, one in uh, uh, ten thousand or one in twenty five uh, twenty five thousand that we know. So, and is that uh, within the normal uh, sort of caseload that you would normally see, or is it increased? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nothing to worry about. And uh, I was this weekend uh, in London for a congress speaking, and there was some uh, doctor from uh, Venezuela going completely berserk about it. Change your genetic system and. Uh, there are some crazy people, but uh, just leave them and uh, cover them with kindness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So what is your advice for people who have, you know, a flu shot? Can they have fillers the next day? Yeah, they could. Yeah, no problem. Tom, Tom's quite gung-ho for me. Yeah. I, I feel like the, the man yeah. who sees all the nightmare complications, you're like, yeah, whatever, just have some yeah. filler. But, but I guess your, your overall advice is small amounts. Yeah, but also again, that is the, the disclaimer of the explanation. Um, um, you uh, you had a flu, flu shot, so your immune system is triggered. So it could trigger the filler injected. Are we willing to take this risk, although it's very small, together? Yeah. Explaining um, uh, uh, transparency, uh, things like that. Explaining being there for them. Yeah. This is my number. You can always add me or call me if you have an additional question. Oh. Yeah. I think it's called proper informed consent. Oh, 100%. Yeah. 100%. True that. Yeah. So, you know, talking about infections now and bacteria, how, how do you cleanse a patient's face in your own clinic? Because David and I were at a conference here in Australia. I don't know if you, if you were still there, David, but there was a plastic surgeon on stage and they were having a like a panel discussion about a lump on a face. They, they just showed a case report yeah. and, and we were discussing it. And I shit you not, he said on stage, I don't use alcohol, I don't use chlorhexidine, I don't use anything in my practice, I just use saline. I thought you were going to say spit. No, <laughs> no, saline. no. no. This is also something very interesting what people are not uh, willing to hear. But I always say that um, in Holland, uh, 95% of the, the injectable treatments are done by cosmetic doctors. For mm -hmm. the Netherlands, you might know, it's the only country in the world where uh, cosmetic medicine is the, the medical specialization. Yes, yes. we've so discussed it on another you, podcast with Tom are, van Eyck. Yeah. With whom? Tom van Eyck. Have I said that correctly? Ah, Tommy. Yes, Tommy. Yeah, Tommy, my <laughs> friend. Yes. So, um, so in Holland, I say a plastic surgeon is trained to cut with a knife. A dermatologist is trained to uh, make the uh, the the sick skin more healthier. Yeah. And a cosmetic doctor injects Botox and fillers. So, if somebody with his humongous feet on stage says oh i do this and that yeah just laugh about it so you're in agreement that it sounds ridiculous i'm, I'm yeah, assuming of course and 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 again i'm in a very lucky position that my <coughs> article about uh, uh, bacteria and uh, adverse events will be published next month in the biggest scientific uh, what is it paper article in the world the plastic and reconstructive surgery prs yeah. And um, there I will be explaining all about it, but it's it's quite easy. So if you don't clean the outer skin, then bacteria could go in uh, with injecting. 
Yeah, yeah. it seems pretty logical. David's a businessman and, and he probably knew more than this plastic surgeon, to be honest. Mm. No yeah. comment. It was quite <laughs> concerning. So what do, you, what do you use? Are you using Chlorhex? Are you using um, yeah, just I, alcohol? Chlorex, yeah, yeah. 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 Chlorex, yeah. But I, I could be uh, cleaning three, four times. Yeah. That, that's what I, for, for instance, learned from a, a dermatologist. I, I rather clean too much than too less. Yeah. I remember a quote from my orthopedic days, and I hated orthopedic surgery, but they said, dilution is the solution of pollution, meaning the more you clean something, the more likely you are to get it really clean. Because, um, you know, when you're cleaning nice. out a, a wound or a joint that's been infected, you're using 10, 12, 15 liters of, of uh, saline or water to, to yeah. get all of those bacteria yeah. out. So um, same as the face. You know, if someone's got oily skin or, or makeup or, or whatever, the more you clean, yeah. it's just logical. You're going to get more bacteria off. But, but do you agree yeah, that yeah. You, you can't get – it's not an aseptic technique – um, it's just you're cleaning as best as you can, but you can't get rid of everything. Do you agree with that? Yes. Right. So, so how do we mitigate that? You know that risk. You know, what are you saying to your patients? Presumably, you have a rule that they can't wear makeup before, or or do you not? Yeah, a friend of mine recently posted on Instagram what he took off when he cleaned. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> might, might be sat in this room. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, no, yeah, clean it. And uh, too, rather too much than too less. It, it, it really is that easy. Yeah. I mean, look, with makeup, and you know, I'm certainly no makeup expert, but some of them are so oily that you're just there for like 10 minutes, you know, using all sorts of makeup removers and then yeah. alcohol and their Clorhex, and it's still coming off. Methylated spirits. You just Yeah. Like- <laughs> and and, and you, I worry that I'm actually um, disrupting the skin barrier because it gets red and, you know, it looks a little bit raw, to be honest, because no. I'm sort of rubbing. No, no, no. My, no, my friend, the problem is then you, when you treated them and their lawyers supposed to be very smart, they, after they paid at your desk, they go to the bathroom yes. inside your private practice and they put it all back on. Yeah. Well, I, I'm very clear and everyone knows that I'm a bit Crazy. of a nutcase when it comes to my no, but, aftercare, but, but you can't happens, prove it. Yeah, yeah, you can't prove it. That's the problem. So as long as you, prior to the treatment, clean uh, yeah, rather too much than too less, yeah. you're doing it perfect. Because I, I know in the UK that they're quite hot on using something called hypochloric, hypochloric acid or hypochlorous acid uh, versus Chlorhex. There, there, there's some sort mm-hmm. of claims that it's better sterilization. Do you know anything about that? No, I don't know anything about it, but as long as you clean, I, I would be happy to uh, to get less adverse events. Fair enough. And and how common are infections? I, I touch wood, I'm going to find someone I've never had an infection, but you know, and you you see all of the cases. How how common do you think they are? Yeah. And and what do you think the cause is? Is it that patient who's put their lipstick on, or is it that injector who's not cleaned properly? Yeah, th- that's also in my in my next article, and it it, it is in my in my uh, in my thesis. So the thing is that, or you did not clean properly, or through the blood the bacteria came uh, uh, near or on the filler. Yeah, and then there are, for instance, twenty different bacteria on the filler, and then at that certain point. 
when you have that multifactorial disease, so flu, uh, dental problems, stress, long night, then one bacteria wins. Mm. And that one bacteria grows and grows and grows. And that's the biofilm. And then you get a bacterial infection. So my understanding was the biofilm, you're right. I mean, obviously it's lots of different bacteria can live together and almost help each other. Uh, and then they produce sort of a like a, a mucus coating and that yeah. may actually protect them from the immune system. It's like a camouflage, but also yeah. it means antibiotics can't penetrate and, and kill those bacteria. So it's almost... Yeah, it's like a like bacteria a force field. working together. Yeah, exactly, like a force field. There you go. They gave you a Star yeah, Trek reference, a Star Wars reference. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that, 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 the one could say that, yeah, yeah. But then how do you prove that's there? I mean, you know, how do you know it's infection versus just, you know, your body creating yeah. inflammatory reaction? Yeah, there are two things in my thesis that nobody in the world knows and does except for us. So, have you ever uh, taken an, um, an, uh, a biopsy of an abscess and sent it to, to the hospital to get it, uh, um, uh, how do you call it, uh, research on which bacteria you cultured? Well, yeah? touch wood, luckily I've never had an aesthetic abscess, but hundreds of times in hospital, but I, I know exactly what you mean. Most aesthetic doctors wouldn't know what to do and they don't have the facility to do it. But have you ever heard of the 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 the, the word styral uh, uh, abscess or styral infection yes. that they didn't find in bacteria? A sterile abscess, yeah. Sterile abscess. The reason is because every hospital all around the world only checks for the most common bacteria. Yeah. So the common, let's say, hundred or a thousand. Yeah. So in my research. I did it with a way more specific PCR technique mm -hmm. in which we searched for all bacteria. Yeah. And with those specific techniques, we did find bacteria. Is that co coagulated so, Staphylococcus? Or, or others, most of the time, different skin bacteria. Right. Okay. Often in hospital, you know, if you if you do a wound swab and, and you send it off, it's a waste of time because just like you said, the, the report will be, oh, this is just contaminated from skin floor. It's not really an infection. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Or, or, or uh, antibiotics were already given. Mm. And um, uh, uh, that's the reason why they call it the sterile obsessed because, because the bacteria they are able to find were not there anymore. Yeah. Fair enough. So, together with my friend who does this specific PCR technique, we are also um, uh, creating this specific box for everybody in the world to test for more bacteria. Right. But this is in a very, very early phase. But uh, in the next few years, we will talk about it more. For if you know which bacteria are there, you more specifically know which antibiotics you should get. Yeah. Yeah, right. So an interesting part of your, your PhD was looking at genetic predisposition or potential yeah. genetic risk factors that could make someone um, perhaps more likely to, to get this complication. Can you maybe expand on that a yeah. little bit? And, and what does that actually what does that actually mean? And who are these people? And what are we looking for? And how do we find them? How, how do, do we, we find them? them? Yes. <laughs> All that stuff. Now, 
I'm in a lucky position to be surrounded by people who are uh, way more smarter than me on a specific line of field. So Leonie and Peter with ultrasound and Peter with another lot, a lot of other stuff. But there's an uh, uh, immunology professor in Barcelona in Spain. And 10 years ago, he thought that there is a uh, Pre, um, genetic predisposition for uh, some uh, arthritis kinds, uh, Morbus Bechteref. And if you have a specific HLA B27 combination, then you're more likely to get that specific disease. And with that in mind, he said, let's see all the patients with adverse events, take some uh, buccal uh, mucosa, and search it for all different HLA kinds. And HLA is a, some kind of receptor we have on all um, boundaries of our cells. And when foreign body comes in, then the HLA triggers the immune uh, system to respond or not. And we found two specific HLA types that are, um, are there more often when somebody has an adverse event. So um, that was my PhD. And now we're trying to uh, create a test, a DNA test you can use prior to the treatment. So uh, wow. we already use it in the Netherlands. And recently we sold it to the UK. And it's called Be Sure, B-S-U-R-E, Medical. And in time, the test will be better and better and better. But... At this point, we cannot predict if somebody is getting an adverse event or not. So I always explain as follows. You have a traffic light and all lights are red. But then Jake starts injecting. He's very experienced. Know what he's doing. So the first light that was red turns green. Then Jake uses Juvederm, Restylane, whatever FDA-approved product. The second light that was red turns green. But the third light will always be red because you don't know how the specific immune system of the patient is going to respond. And that's where the Be Sure DNA test uh, comes abroad, uh, comes at light, how do you call it? That's amazing. So just for the lay people listening, HLA stands for human leukocyte antibody, I think, from my yeah. basic biochemistry yeah. days. And that's kind of like... I think we discovered it when, when you know, when you had organ rejection or when you do a blood transfusion, there's a rejection. It's that sort Correct. of system that your body uses yeah. to, you know, to, to operate, I guess. And so you're saying yeah. that there are some people walking around who have just a predisposition to, you know, complications and, and delayed onset reactions just because of their immune Correct. system. It's nothing to do with bacteria, not the injector, not the filler. It's them. That. Interesting. Yeah. So, how common is that HLA subtype? Ooh, in the normal uh, uh, normal population, Caucasian in Europe, it's I think it's ooh one point five percent something. Okay. And uh, in our population, in our research, it was eighty five percent. Oh wow. That's yeah, a huge, so uh, you know, predisposition predisposition to problems. 
Yeah, but it was in our research. So same as with all tests, in time, we will be able to be more specific. So we have to do more tests and more research. But uh, we also, we already started with the, with the product. And that's my, of course, my big disclaimer. I'm co-founder and CEO of uh, Be Sure Medical. But uh, up until now, we don't have anything. So this is the first step. Right. Uh, can, can we buy shares in this thing <laughs> <laughs> before it goes big? <laughs> now, if we want to go uh, into that subject, my my friend, we are what we call a social enterprise. We are doing this for every foreign body material. Wow. Breasts, pacemakers, uh, hip implants, tooth implants, etc., etc. It's foreign body. It's not supposed to be there. Your immune system starts to react. Why is there in some people an overshoot and in others there isn't? Right. That's incredible. So would this be something that you would potentially do routinely before every treatment? Yes. Wow. So it's like, obviously you said it's a buckle swab. And then what do you do with the swab? How does the test work? You, you bring the swab to our, uh, or we bring it to, your, to our FDA-approved lab in Barcelona. Mm. And a few weeks later, you have a yes or no. What a little bit slightly gives you more, um, how do you put it, uh, more uh, certainty of not getting an adverse event. Yeah. It's not that you will not get an, uh, a, a late onset immune mutilated adverse event, but you have a little bit uh, more certainty. So, so what's I'm trying to understand, obviously, I get the test, but would you then deny people who have this subtype or not? Because if not, yeah, I, then... I, I, I deny them, and then their, their alternative is uh, lipofilling. Wow. Okay. So it's an absolute no, sorry, you're going to get a problem. In my humble opinion, it is. But again, I am the most biased uh, doctor in the world. So I'm very hesitant at even doing yeah. filler treatments in, in lots of volumes, et cetera, et cetera. That's quite a, that, that's amazing. It, it, you know, if, the, if this is shown to, to work, because you, know, you could avoid, you know, 85% of your complications patients have that subtype. Can you imagine 85% of complications of that nature just disappearing? It's amazing. Yeah. Can, it can, can you see it that? Is. Can you see one day just being a simple test that can be run in a doctor's rooms where they can take a swab, they stick it in yeah, some yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, machine yeah. and boom, it tells you straight away. That's the, the thing, but I, I don't know if you've seen uh, the documentaries and the series about the Theranos by Elizabeth Holmes, who said yes, that the genetic testing, blood. yeah, the big she's oh, she ooh. got in big trouble, yeah. So, it's actually it's, so it's on Netflix at the moment. You were saying yes, yeah, I know, yeah, uh, yeah, it's you know about this, Jay? No, I've, so it's this. Well, uh -oh, maybe, Jake. yeah, she was like she sold this business on like being able to do genetic testing for people, and it, apparently it was like some big Ponzi scheme or some fraud. Oh, I love these kind of shows. Yeah, is that, been, is that correct, Tom? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. It, yeah, but it's, it's big and it also helps up to us to be more and more critical, heavy disclaimers, uh, testing, 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 transparency, uh, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard about it. A couple of friends have told me about it. It's on Netflix at the moment. Yeah. Right. Oh, What's it you... called? What's the series called, Tom? I forgot I forgot the name of the actual Netflix. Out, out for Blood something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. All right. Check, I shall it check it out. 
Hey guys, hope you enjoyed listening to part one of our discussion with Dr. DeCatz. As discussed at the beginning of the podcast, Jake and I are currently trying to lock in a date to record uh, the second part of our discussion with him and we'll be publishing it as soon as we can. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at Inside Aesthetics Podcast. Using the link in our Instagram profile, you can easily email us, text us, apply to be a guest on the show, follow our personal accounts on Instagram, and even show your love and support us on Patreon. 